You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. And think about it. Like, how many days do you get through as an athlete when you don't experience a negative emotion that's related to your athletics? Close to zero. So, you know, it's never perfect. So That was Matt Fitzgerald. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Hope your spring is off to an awesome start. Temps are warming up over here on the East Coast in New York City. And I'm super psyched because I did a 10-mile run this weekend and a 48-mile bike. The weather is really off the hook amazing. I also officially started training for Ironman Muscleman 70.3 this July in the Finger Lakes. And if you haven't heard... I'm launching a very fun Olympic distance triathlon challenge in August. Email or DM me to find out more. Speaking of training, triathlon, and running, today's guest, Matt Fitzgerald, is a world-renowned sports journalist, nutritionist, and endurance sports coach. Before we dive in to Matt, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, back to our guest. Matt is a true expert on all things fitness, having written more than 20 books on sports performance, training, fueling, and the importance of mental toughness, several of which are my absolute favorites, like How Bad Do You Want It?, Running the Dream, and his newest book, The Comeback Quotient. On today's episode, Matt and I sync up about his latest book, The Comeback Quotient. Matt shares his wisdom on building mental fitness and how the greatest athletes are the ones who possess the ability to make the best of a bad situation. Matt takes us through the steps of coming back from a challenge and tells us how these steps can be used in all areas of our lives, not just athletics. We chat about Matt's signature 80-20 training plan and the common misconception that training needs to be hard all the time. And I am, of course, one of those people who sometimes forgets, as I'm sure some of my listeners are. You, too, can be trained by Matt. His endurance training plans can be found both on his website and on Training Peaks. 
He also provides customizable plans through his website, and he offers one-on-one -on -one training for a very lucky group of five people at a time. Matt also talks about his battle with COVID-19, how he is one of the long haulers, and how he is using his own strategies from the comeback quotients to fuel him through his recovery. Matt truly inspires us to reframe our mindset in the midst of obstacles. Through his expertise, we can all become ultra realists. I hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to the app on your iPhone, iPad, computer. Scroll through the Marnie on the Move podcast episodes. Click on five stars and leave us a review. Tell us what you love. Also, share the episodes that you're listening to with your friends on social media, wherever you like to share. And last but not least, sign up for our newsletter, The Download. Now, on to my conversation with Matt Fitzgerald. Thank you again for being on the podcast. My pleasure. So let's just dive in. I am loving your new book, The Comeback Quotient. And I mean, I read it a while back when I got the galley, when we did our first interview way back when. And so give me a little bit of the story behind the book. Like, what is The Comeback Quotient? What's it about? And what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, the, uh, the subtitle of the book unpacks it a little bit. It's a, a get real guide to building mental fitness in sport and life. So that's what it's about. As a coach, um, any coach would tell you that, you know, you're kind of a therapist. Like, you know, psychology yeah. <laughs> is a big, a big part of the job. And, and so I'm always working to build the, the mental fitness of the athletes I work with. And, you know, I am not a licensed therapist. I, I don't have a degree in psychology, <laughs> yeah. but I have, I have a lot of experience as a coach and an athlete myself. And I certainly read a lot of research. One of my best friends is a PhD in psychology and an endurance coach. So over time, I've just sort of developed my own notions about what mental fitness is and how and how to build it up. So and I feel like I'm kind of on to something like my approach is a little bit different. And it seems to work pretty, pretty well with, with the, you know, the athletes I work with one on one. So I wanted to write this book just so I could broaden my reach and bring the same concepts and tools to you know a lot more athletes. In the comeback quotient, you talk about this category of people called ultra realists. Yeah. What are the core characteristics of these ultra realists? Yeah, so that's uh, where the rubber meets the road. You, know, you can start with a very simple question: What is mental fitness? Right. You know, my my way of defining it is it's the the ability to make the best of a bad situation. It's a very practical uh, definition. So the next obvious question is, okay, what does it take to be able to make the best of, of bad situations? And from, from my observation, it's interesting because I, you know, I work almost exclusively, exclusively with amateur athletes, right. but I've spent a lot of time around, you know, elite endurance athletes and, you know, they're all athletes, but there are some sort of characteristic differences between the, the two groups in terms of uh, not, e not even on the physical side, even right. on, on the mental, on mental side. side. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm able to kind of make some some comparisons. And, and the thing that the champions seem to have is an ability and willingness to fully face reality in difficult situations. So right. when things when things go wrong, they don't go into panic mode. They don't go into denial mode. They don't catastrophize, like turning 
uh, molehills into mountains. Right. They they accept the reality. Like, okay, I admit it. Things have gone wrong. Like, but they don't they don't quit. They then pivot to embracing that reality, which doesn't mean talking yourself into believing you're glad it happened. Right. It's just committing, committing to make the best of it. So you, you don't waste that time and energy wishing it hadn't happened or doing the poor me's. You say, okay, it happened. Now what? And then you go about the business of make of actively making the best uh, of that reality. So an ultra realist is like a master of this, of this process. And I think these people exist, you know, I, I don't know what it would mean to be a perfect ultra realist. Right. Probably no one is. No right. one is. There are definite role models in this regard. Like people, the way I look at it almost is it's almost as if these athletes, when something unexpected goes wrong, as if they've had advanced warning. Like they knew 24 hours before, like the, you know, the poise with which they handled it. That's sort of like a, a that's, that's how you can identify an ultra realist yes. in action. And you have a flow chart, which I love in your book, which, by the way, I think right. your book is not just for athletes. I think it's for anyone who is navigating, you know, after t- COVID or just life in general. But talk to me about this flow chart. So the idea is that this process of fully facing reality has three distinct steps to it. And you can't get to the third and final step until you've su- successfully taken the second step. You can't do the second until you've taken the first now in in reality they might sort of all happen kind of simultaneously but there's an order to them and that that first step is acceptance so you can think of it kind of as a hurdle like if something if something goes wrong if something turns out you know not to be the way they want it it could be bad weather on race day it could be an injury you could get covid right Uh, we're going to talk about that (laughs) yeah or you could just be you know on lockdown you know not have it but Whatever it is, I mean, you know, something is going wrong for almost every athlete every day, even right. if it's just a small thing. So you can think of that as like that thing going wrong as a hurdle. And some people will trip on that hurdle and that first hurdle. And that's when they fail to accept, you know, the reality. Right. Um, because it's, you know, the, the, the way I kind of look at it is like you can't solve a problem you don't admit exists or that you you're turning away from like you're it's just not going to happen right (laughs) like you can't say there is no problem if there actually is also you know again like catastrophizing making more of it than it really is is another way of denying the of failing to accept the reality like yeah life has given me lemons but they're only lemons like it's not a a bag of dog (laughs) do no don't turn it don't because that's another way of failing to accept the reality See the problem for what it is. That's the first hurdle. So some people like, you know, and we all do it. Like we, if you've ever said to yourself, I can't believe this is happening. Right. What is that? But a, like a denial of the reality in front of you or, or the whole poor me thing. Um, right. Right. Or I wish if you find, if you find yourself saying, I wish that also is, is signals like that you've, you've tripped on that first hurdle that you're not accepting the reality, but let's say you get over it. Uh, and we all we all have the ability to do that. Then you come up to the second hurdle, which is embracing. So we're working our way through the flowchart here. So you know, if you've accepted the reality that well, you've defined the problem, you've admitted there is a problem, but you haven't done anything about it yet. Right. So the next thing you got to do is embrace it, and that's to go back to the you know life giving you lemons analogy. That's where like you you say you know what I can work with these lemons. Like I didn't want them, 
but let like let's see if I can turn them into oh I don't know lemonade. <laughs> right, like let me go make so, a green juice. <laughs> so you know, embracing the reality yeah. again, it doesn't mean that you, you pretend you're glad it's 100 degrees on race day. It, it means you just you accept that it is, and you're like, okay, what's the best I can do despite these imperfect circumstances or imperfect circumstances. Yeah. And, and that's what it means to, to embrace it. And then, uh, so that's like the second hurdle and, and you know, people will trip on that uh, hurdle as well. Like a common way of like, if you, if you accepted the reality, it's like, like my shoe came untied, you know, in the middle of a race, we'd have come disillusioned. Right. Right. It's just like, Oh man, like decide, deciding it's over before you really know for sure. If it right. Is like over. if you get a flat tire during a race and you just like sit on right. the side of the road and cry, or you like run or right. drag your bike down the road. <laughs> yes. It's also, you know, it can be a matter of kind of all or nothing thinking like, Oh, you know, the reality is my, my a goal is out the window. And, and so why bother? You know, what, what's, what's the point? And, that's a way of sort of failing to accept the reality. It's like, oh, you know, if, if I've, you know, I'm accepting that things aren't the way I want them, but I'm, I'm also going to quit because like, I don't, <laughs> it's all or nothing. Right. So embracing reality is saying, all right, you know, maybe my PR isn't going to happen today, or maybe I'm only going to get to the start line with 80% fitness because of this setback, but let's just, let's see what I can do anyway. So that's if you if you're able to do that, just embrace it, uh, commit to turning lemons into lemonade. Then you've gotten over the second hurdle, and then we get to the final hurdle in the flow chart, addressing reality. So just because you've committed to making the best of it doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. Like right. in, uh, often in these circumstances, you have to get creative, you have to get resourceful. Not everyone's willing to do that. Like if there's a situation of uncertainty, there's a tendency in some athletes to assume. Oh, if I don't know the answer now, I'm going to assume I'll never know the answer. You know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of like, you know, the champions, the ultra realists, they're more comfortable with uncertainty. They they have more of a I'll figure it out attitude. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going to stay in the game. I'm going to keep my head and trust that I'll figure it out eventually. That's not easy to do. No. And that kind of goes back to your book. How bad do you want it too? It's like, how bad do you want right. it? I mean, it's, it's mindset. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So um, that's exactly the sort of thing. Uh, David Goggins has a quote that I, I put in the book, like, know your why. Yes. Like, that, that can be the thing. Once you've gotten past those first two hurdles and you need to actually make the damn lemonade. <laughs> yeah. No, like falling back on, what, well, what's my reason for being here? That can be crucial to, I mean, there's really two pieces to addressing the reality. One is effort. Often, like when things go wrong, mm -hmm. something you thought would be kind of hard ends up being harder. <laughs> and so you may have to dig deeper than you were expecting to. So that's part of it. That's, but that's the more obvious part. You know, mm -hmm. when you see an athlete pull off an amazing comeback, that gets all the credits. Like, wow, that person just like had such perseverance or re resilience. But what's overlooked and is equally important to addressing the reality of a bad situation is being smart, having good judgment, making right. making good decisions. And and that tends to get glossed over, but it's equally important. You can't necessarily just force your way through a situation that's that you know hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to uh, on on effort or toughness alone. You got to be smart. I think with COVID and we talked right when you got back from Atlanta, but that I kind of stopped training and I just not because there were no race, well because there were no races, but also I just kind of put a different 
mindset and goal around training. So really it was just to move. There were no like long term goals. I had just been training for a marathon and my last run was like 18 miles in March. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to do that again. Like there's no point in running 18 miles if I'm not training for a race. I mean, that's a lot of Mm -hmm. mileage in one day. So I kind of just was like doing these little fun runs around the city and of course I got slower and I'm so mad about it. I'm so mad about it. And I spent like, (laughs) I thought I was slow before and now (sighs) it is so much worse. Not to mention that I also am aging like that. You can't stop. So like I was mad with my marathon time and I was mad because, you know, before that I would have been like frustrated with my time, but trust I when I tell you I don't do the work I'm taking full accountability for it as an athlete like I don't I haven't been strength training like I should I haven't been pushing myself like I should that was even before COVID I have no excuse but now I'm like oh so I finally I got to this place you know I was reading your book and I remember many of the lessons I've learned in all of your books and just in general as an athlete and I'm like, why am I doing this self-sabotage? Like, I recognize that I was doing it in such a bad way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not helping me. Like, I just need to go out and run and forget about it. Just run. Just do the running and eventually right. I can, like, dial it back. But I definitely, like, the self-sabotage, I think that's something that is, like, so real. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm running, like, an 11-minute mile. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. How could I do that? I was, like, mad at nine and a half. And then I was like eight and a half was like my good time and I wanted to go lower oh and you know, and there's like this whole mental ticker tape that you're right. I'm like, stop it. Just stop it and run. <laughs> I'm finally over the hurdle and now I'm just running. I'm so pissed. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> at least knock on wood, knock on wood, I'm healthy. So I can run and I need to stop the talk. But I mean, you talk about different kinds of comebacks, like different things that people are coming back from so maybe you can share that a little bit about that and like what are some of the big comebacks that you've seen with all of your athletes and training over the years yeah one one thing i wanted to make sure i did in the book is is define comeback broadly and define bad situation broadly because people immediately think oh injury i'm like it's way more than that it's basically (laughs) it's like it's basically like anything that that you know the, the, the cue that something is a bad situation or, or has gone wrong is that you're experiencing a negative emotion. Like if you're either frustrated or yeah. anxious or disappointed, like any negative emotion is it's like, it's like pain. It's signaling there's a problem. And think about it. Like how many days do you get through as an athlete when you don't experience a negative emotion that's related to your athletics, right? Close to zero. So, you know, it's never perfect. So, right. My point being like, you know, this ultra realist mindset is not, it doesn't just apply in crises. It applies every single day, similar to like something like mindfulness, uh, which definitely relates. But so that's why I, I, I put, uh, you know, for, to this end, I, I, I categorize uh, comebacks in three types or, or bad situations in three types. One is the comeback from the bad break. And, and like that, that's the obvious one, like the injury, something that goes wrong, like you know your shoe falls off in, during a race. Um, the second category uh, is um, the rude awakening. So that one is like, it's less obvious, but it's actually probably more common. Yeah. Rude awakening is just when something is harder than you anticipated. Right. 
And like when you're a weekend warrior and you're like, I'm going to do an Ironman (laughs) and like finish in eight hours. And then you get there and you're doing it for two days. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, but almost any time you set a goal, you're like, you know, I'm setting this goal because I think it'll be challenging, but it's realistic. It almost always turns out to be harder than (laughs) than you thought. Like me, you know, I've written all these books. Like every time I sit down to start writing another book, I'm like, you know what? Every book I've written was just practically killed me, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've been through the process so many times before this next one is going to be relatively easy. Nope. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like I, I see that almost every day. I find myself thinking what you just said. It's like, you know, you don't remember the process of like what it was like, no matter how many companies you start, no matter how many things you create, how many books you write, how many races you do, how many kids you have, like you don't remember the process right. or the pain. It's like your brain just like blocks it out. And then when you go to do it again, you think it's going to be easy and it's not. And you're like, why right. is this not easy? Like it seems so easy. And then you reflect back in retrospect and you're like, I remember it wasn't easy. Like there was a lot that you have to put into something. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the other thing I always say is like, you know, overnight success takes 10 years, <laughs> you know? So right. Yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah, nothing really ever is what it seems. Yeah. And, you know, in the book, I talk about the psychology behind that, that rude awakening phenomenon. It, it's like our brains are designed to work that way to, because, you know, a lot of things that are really difficult that we're going to need to do again at mm-hmm. some point, we wouldn't be able to bear doing it again if we remember just how right. hard it was. <laughs> I think, time. yeah. So it actually, it, you know, it, it, that, that mentality, that aspect of our psychology it exists for a reason yeah. and it serves a purpose, but it can be a bit of a trap too. Um, so it's just something that, you know, it's one of the things where just putting a name on it is kind of half the battle, like knowing it, what's happening, uh, when it's happening. I mean, you still got to do something about it, but at least you're able to say, okay, I know what's going on yeah. <laughs> on here. This is a rude awakening. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the third type of, of bad situation is, uh, um, or the comeback from self-sabotage and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, that's all of us. Like, yeah. you know, how many, how many athletes like, you know, raise your hand if you've never created a problem that you had to solve. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so athlete. true. Like, it's like, I had yeah. a great run yesterday on the treadmill and yet I still found a way to, to say to myself, Oh, but you could have done better. i like, uh-huh. it's just the nature of, of your mind as an athlete. I don't know other people, but yeah. Yes. You know, the classic example of that type is like, you know, turning, turning a small injury into a big one because you don't, you don't listen to your body. Like that's one that almost every athlete does at some point, Mm -hmm. you know, if I just power through it, the pain will go away. And then something that might've just necessitated one day off becomes like a two week, a three week thing or, or what have you. Yep. I'm in that boat too, but I went to physical therapy, so I'm still working through an ankle an unidentified ankle injury that happened not during any sport and is not a real injury, like can't be fixed except for rest. It posterior tendonitis. Just uh-huh. a little spot on my ankle that hurts when I run. Yeah. I, I've, I've had those too. Like the, the undiagnosable, just, uh, it's all in your head. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I'm just like acting like it's all in my head. No, I actually went to physical therapy and, for a few months from like July through like last month. And it helped a lot. And my physical therapist said I could run. She didn't say how many miles, 
but she did say I could slowly get back to running. So, you know, yeah, self-sabotage. And then, like, speaking of comebacks, you've been coming back yourself from COVID, which is crazy. And I do know the last time I spoke to you, you just got back from Atlanta and you were just coming out of having COVID. So how are you feeling now? What's going on? Yeah, so been an interesting journey, Marnie. <laughs> you know, I was with, with with the COVID, I was sick for a month, but, you know, I was sicker than I've ever been uh, and but but got over it. Right. And, uh, you know, some people listening have probably heard of these this long COVID or, you know, the long, long haulers. haulers. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appear to be one of them now. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I had the virus. Mm-hmm. I recovered. I was healthy and fit for about six months. And then in October, I started to go backward. And it's not ex- like exactly the same symptoms. It, the, the way I described it is I don't feel sick. I feel like something's wrong with me, <laughs> kind of different. And, but it's really, really debilitating. You know, like it's like, it's like just crushing fatigue. You know, it's not consistent. It ebbs and flows. Yes. And like a variety of like tachycardia, like, you know, heart rate all over the place. Uh, like numbness in my extremities, like things. sometimes, especially, yeah, yeah, like, like, you know, phantom smells, like, he- you know, headaches, brain fog is, is a huge one, where like a lot, of, a lot of it is from, from actually, the, you know, above the neck, where I just, you know, I, I, my memory is not good, I have trouble concentrating, sometimes I just have to go lie down, like in the middle of the day. Wow, just and like, you were I, never I, like I that can't. before. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm turning, I'll turn 50 uh, in, in a few months, but you know, before this, I sure didn't feel 49. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, the Atlanta marathon, I, I killed it. You know, I, was, <laughs> I won my age group. I almost won the master's division outright, uh, ran a two forty six marathon, on a course with 1800 feet of elevation change. You know, I, I was as healthy and fit as I'd ever been. And so to be the way I'm now, it's quite a come down. <laughs> I have a really good friend who he was just on the podcast. He's a graphic designer and has a creative agency, but he's a hardcore cyclist. Like, I, he told me how many watts he was pushing. I was like, holy shit, like next level. And he had COVID in March really bad. Like he went to the hospital bad. And they, it was the time when nobody knew what was happening. They sent him home. They're like, you're not, you're not dying. So nothing right. we can do. And he said that he can only do like sprint type exercise, like his endurance. He can do the sprints though. He can do like faster, fast twitch muscle type stuff. And, but he has no endurance, he said, and he went to the doctor. So you, did you go to the doctor and get like your heart checked and your lungs checked and all of that? And it's like, what's going on? Yeah. So, you know, what's common to the, the long haul experience for a lot of people is the difficulty of diagnosis. And, it's even, you know, because there's a lot of confusion. There's the virus. Okay, that's one thing. Right. Then the, then there's like the sort of lingering damage or long-term damage to your body from the virus. Like you could have myocarditis, like in, inflammation of your heart or like damage to the, uh, your blood vessels. Right. So, so that, you know, you can recover from the virus and still be dealing with those kind of the ravages of the virus on your body. That's another thing. Long haul is neither of those things. It is kind of like a chronic fatigue syndrome that it's like, that's why, you know, people say, how's your recovery going? And I'm like, 
I'm not recovering. Like I have a condition like that this virus. So it's like an autoimmune condition. It's very, it's, it's, you know, the research, I mean, I mean, believe me, I'm doing my research on this and you know, the, the top experts out there, when they're honest, they're like, we don't know, you know, you know, they're learning, they're learning a lot, but yes, it it has, it's a lot like um, an autoimmune condition. And, And interestingly, you know, we all know that the people who are most likely to die from the virus itself are older, people who are overweight, people right. who have comorbidities. But for long haulers, we skew in the other direction. We tend to be younger. Uh, we're healthier before, often fitter before. We didn't get as sick. You know, there aren't a lot of long haulers who actually did need to be intubated, you know, when right. they had the virus. And, and that may be because there's some speculation because we have strong immune systems and like right. that is part of what's to blame. Our immune system, as in an autoimmune disease, is, is you know, going to work against our own bodies. I know I sent you an email, but I wonder if there's anything, I mean, I don't know, and I'm just saying this, if there's anything in Chinese medicine, like traditional Chinese medicine that, you know, and again, like I'm not a doctor, you're not a doctor, and now I'm just like talking you know, cordyceps are really good for your lungs. I don't know. I haven't heard anyone talking about this, but then again, like Chinese medicine is so out there for most people that probably we wouldn't hear anyone talking about it. But I just wonder if there's something in that portfolio of healing medicine that could be helpful for this. I don't, have you heard of anything? Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I, I'm actually, I started taking cordyceps uh, and ashwagandha as well on, on, on the advice of, but the other thing I'm doing aside from doing research. Yes. And you have to be selective. You know, you need to, if, if you're not an expert, you need to recognize an expert, Yes. <laughs> you know, from, from a quack. So, uh, you know, I'm doing research, but I'm also networking because th- there are a lot of us out there. Yes. You know, they think about maybe about 10% of people who get the virus end up where I am now. So, you know, people have a way of finding things, you know, we're not getting a lot of help from doctors. I I certainly am not. So yeah, there's a a woman who's in New York city, who's uh, is a runner, got sick about the same time I am. She has been struggling. And she said, you know what? I started taking cordyceps and ashwagandha and was able to run for the first time in months, like three days later. So, you know, I file that under, I mean, you can't try, especially, you know, me, like I have, I have a public platform. I've been sharing this publicly. So you, you get all kinds of garbage, but I I don't want to just say, I want to be open-minded, you know, because I am struggling and I don't want to, who knows, you know, so some things I, I file under the couldn't hurt, like, you know, worth the, the worth a try category. And, and yeah, so, so yeah, I've, I've tried acupuncture, you know, various like herbs and, and, and and that kind of thing. I feel like there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, you can't try them all, but no. like if you if if someone if someone you trust uh, who has a level head says, you know, it, it seemed to have done something for me, you know, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, I've seen I take I also take lion's mane, which is for brain fog, and I do take cordyceps, but I don't take them all the time, you know, and that's the thing yeah. that I think people don't understand. And again, like none of us are doctors, but I definitely have talked to many many people on the podcast and in general about. Chinese medicine and, and, and it you are really supposed to do it like seasonally like training like there's a periodization yeah. of taking these things because it's not great for your liver but yeah I mean I just I, I'm curious to hear how it goes I mean I'm glad you're on that program with the Chinese yeah. medicine yeah. 
Yeah. And so like speaking of training and getting out there, I mean, for anyone who is new to the world of Matt Fitzgerald and doesn't know about his amazing, amazing programs around 80-20 training, can you just like rewind, take us back, do a refresh on 80-20? Because it's a great method for training and especially now where people are like trying to kind of reboot and rebuild. Sure thing. So a lot of the endurance sports have been around for 150, 170 years, like running has been around, cycling has been around, like that's a long time. Yeah. Uh, You know, the modern Olympics has been around since 1904. So there've been a lot of athletes trying to figure out what's the best way to train. And if you go back like to the early 19th century and looked at how like the top runners of that day trained, it it was madness, you know, (laughs) their diets too. They had no idea, you know what I mean? They're just trying to figure stuff out. But over time, especially as the stakes have risen, you know, like there are shoe contracts on the line and, you know, you can be on a Wheaties box if you win a gold medal. Like there's a lot of, of, there's a lot at stake. So over time, there's been this convergence where the top athletes have sort of figured out what works and what doesn't work training wise. And endurance is endurance. Like rowing is different from cross country. Skiing is different from cycling, but not that different. You know what I mean? They have like a cousinly relationship. So Broadly speaking, what works best in one is going to work best in all of them. Right. And what there's a researcher named Steven Seiler who tried to figure out, like, how are the top elite athletes today balancing their training intensities? And what he discovered, fascinatingly, was that all over the world, regardless of specific endurance discipline, uh, the top athletes are spending about 80% of their training time at low intensity, 20% at moderate to high intensity. And that really wasn't the case you know, two, three generations ago, like right. it was something that they, they figured out and you can see performances have gone up. Right. Right. You know, so it's not, it's not just any one factor, but that, that would seem to be a big one. And then the question becomes, all right, well, if I don't have the genes of, you know, to get to the Olympics, right. And if I don't have the 30 hours a week to train, like, does this apply to me? So there've been some prospective studies done studies where they just take a group of Joe and Jane runners or cyclists and have them, I should say, while the elites are doing the 80-20 thing, the, the, the average recreational endurance athlete is more like 50-50. They're, yeah. they're caught in what I call the moderate intensity rut where they think, <laughs> they think, <laughs> they think they're doing 80% of their training at low intensity, but actually like only about half is, excuse me. So when you take these athletes who are doing kind of the 50-50 thing, and put, put them on an 80-20 program, even at relatively low training volumes, they, they get better results too, which is kind of good news because you could always train more, but without even going there, you can just reapportion the time you're already putting into training and get some improvement. And, and you're actually making it a little bit easier because you, you're shifting some time from that moderate intensity bucket to the low intensity bucket and you'll, you'll feel better and, and re- really be able to crush the speed work when you when it's time and you're basically like training your aerobic engine to be able to go longer and if you can go longer slower then you can go shorter faster ultimately it's a concept and so (laughs) it's counterintuitive and it's you know you know it's worth pointing out because i don't want to be straw man you know it's like it's not 100 zero it's 80 20 20 is significant like that's one out of every five minutes so like me, I love to go hard. You know, I, I, I love speed work. I love up-tempo stuff. And what's cool is, like, you'll actually feel better and perform better 
when it's time to, to push it, you know, if you actually, you know, legitimately take it easy, uh, that, that 80% of the time when you're supposed to. And that 80% is like zone one, zone two. Yeah. I know. Cause yeah. my partner is currently doing the running program. She's doing one of your 80, 20 training plans that she downloaded from training peaks. And mm-hmm. she said it's the best training plan she's ever done and we've both been training and racing triathlon and running I don't know for like 10 12 years and she said it's like the best training plan she's ever had nice so I'm gonna down yeah so tell me about the train you have so if somebody wanted to you know of course you have all your books which are great and people can buy them and I'll put a link in the podcast but you also have these training plans the 80 20 training plans that are for running for triathlon is it for other sports too, or just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, 80, yeah. 20 applies to everything, but we're, we're a two man operation. And so yes. we're getting around to, we're, we've got actually obstacle racing plans and we have cycling plans, uh, in development. Okay. Yeah. If there's a rowing expert out there who wants to give us 80, 20 rowing plans, you're, you're open. Let me know. <laughs> so you guys, the plans are available on your website and then also, yep. through, and I also, I got it on training peaks, but you partner with yep. other, like other p- platforms to sell the programs as well. No, we're actually exclusive to tr- training peaks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, uh, yeah. We, we do really well for them and they do really well for They're us. Great. So we kind of, yeah, we got married. Sort of speak. Dirk, Dirk <laughs> and Joel were on the podcast. They are great. Right on. Joel. He, yeah. Yeah. It was great. Yes. And you also mentioned when we first started talking that you are also training athletes recreationally. So is that something yeah. new? I mean, you've kind of always done it. Like, talk to me about your coaching and training and, you know, how people can connect with you to do that. Yeah, I, I do some one-on-one. Co- so I have kind of three levels of coaching service. One is the, the ready-made training plans like your, your partner's following now. The second tier is custom training plans, which is kind of a sweet spot between, you know, the off the shelf plans and one-on-one coaching. So you fill out a questionnaire, uh, you can access a form on, on the 8020 website. And then, it, you know, you know, I just gather all the information that I need to create from scratch, a plan that's customized to you. And that works great. The ready-made plans are great, but everyone's got like a unique schedule, unique constraints right. so that way you get a plan like it, you know your b where your b race is when it should be if you if you can't work out on wednesday like no workouts on wednesday that that type yes. of thing and then you know the third tier is the one-on-one coaching and but i i only do five five athletes at a time because yeah. like you know i i can only do it right for that for that many athletes so, yeah. so i've got a full roster at this point i know? was wondering how that all works i actually um it's so funny. I did my Ironman training, like coaching training. I got my coaching certification this summer. And yeah, I just, as a business person, I was just like, wow, you know, you really need to have a lot of, I'm not coaching anyone. Like, it seems like you have to have a lot of athletes and it's hard. Like it's a lot of time to work with an athlete yeah. and really customize a program for them. It's like, you know, and I, I do all the, um, I'm in on all the like meetings and talks and, it's all good, but you know, it's just, I just wonder about that. You know, I still think that I would not want to coach anyone. I really still need coaching. And then, so, so people can hire you or download your plans or work with you to get a custom plan. Enough yes. about me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm such a bad podcast host. 
<laughs> no, you're good. Uh, I, I like it. You take some of the pressure off me. I, uh, I get to rest my voice. <laughs> um, so what's your, what's your sort of like strategy or advice? Like, okay, so, so just summing up that last thing. So people can hire, they can download your classes. Like they can download your training plans from Training Peaks or your website. They can email you on your website and get a semi sort of in between one-on-one coaching weekly conversations and sort of have a customized training plan for whatever they're working on and their goals. And then a lucky five people get to train with you personally for, you know, set races over a set period of time. Yeah. Awesome. You know, I know that you are big on the whole on mindset and mental game. So what's your strategy now? for you as you're trying to sort of master overcoming COVID and getting back to training and sort of navigating like your health and fitness. Yeah. I'm in an interesting position because I got to walk the talk, you know, but the the thing is, and in my book, the comeback quotient, I wanted to show people, I'm not just doing this to sell books, like, or I'm not just giving you a message that I think sounds good. Like I, I believe in it so much that, you know, I practice it. So the, the book contains little mini chapters between the main chapters where I document my own comeback uh, uh, as an Ironman triathlete. I, I did my one and only Ironman in 2002 when I was 31. Mm-hmm. And then there was a 17 year gap. Uh, I actually registered for some Ironmans, but never made it to the start line because of injuries. But so I, I made this comeback and it was a high wire act because I was writing the book as I was training mm-hmm. for you know, this Ironman, I didn't know how it was going to go, but I wanted to show people like, Hey, like, I'm not a pro, uh, you know, I'm, I'm above average. I'm experienced, but I'm just, I'm just a guy, you know? Um, and I wanted to show the process in action where I'm, I'm, you know, using these ultra realist principles, uh, in, in my own athletics. Um, so that, so that's one thing, but, but now with the the COVID long haul deal that, you know, that's not, that's not just sport, that's life, you know, but I, I, I'm still, I'm still using the same tools because, you know, I care very much about my own life, <laughs> my, my happiness and my well-being. Yeah. And so I want, I want to use the tools that I think are, are going to help me. So that's how I'm going about it. I, I kind of think of it, I'm, I'm operating on parallel tracks. Okay. One is, one is acceptance. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of people I talk to, friends, family, they're like, oh, I hope you get better soon. I, I, I hope, right. I hope you improve. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not, I'm not putting any energy into that. Like I'm sort of half of me is assuming I'm not going to get better because a lot of people actually who come out of viruses with chronic fatigue syndrome, they don't get better. I've talked to people who had like a bad flu in the seventies who are still, still have chronic fatigue. So my deal is like half of me is like, I want to see, I want to be okay now. Like, like feeling physically lousy all day, every day. And yet, still a happy person. So, like, part of me is, is is working on that acceptance. The other part is has this no stone unturned mentality, kind of like, like like the pros are. Like, you know, if a pro has a problem that's affecting their training and racing, they leave no stone unturned looking for right. a solution. So that that's the other half. Like, it's not defeatist. It's not defeatism or fatalism. You know, the acceptance is just half of it. The other half is you know, trying the cordyceps or, you know, working with the yeah. doctors, even though they've been useless so far, whatever it takes. So that's how, that's how I'm coping. And I, I, um, I'll tell you, like, it's not easy, you know, no. like I, 
you know, if, you know, if my wife were sitting next to me, she would say this dude's struggling and, and, yeah. I, and I really am, but I like, I prefer to just be honest about that. And, uh, cause that's, you know, that, that's just how I am. You know? No, I mean, do you have any, like any other athletes that you've connected with that are going through something similar that you can kind of like just sort of hash it out with? Because it is a lot and you don't have to, yeah. um, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of that. You know, I, I am an introvert by nature, so mm -hmm. I tend to like keep my own counsel and try to work it out for myself. But, you know, it, it's funny. I had this moment. I mentioned that one of the one of the I've had I, I listed out all the symptoms I've been experiencing. It's yes. 21 of them. <laughs> so it's a lot, a lot of symptoms. There are ones that are like the big ones. And then there are the weird ones like uh, the phantom smells. Like yeah. I'll just I'll just smell dog vomit out of nowhere intensely. Yeah. Weird stuff. But so, but I, I had never heard. Do you of that. have a and dog? I come across. Yes. Okay. But trust me, there was no vomit. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is a tangent, but yeah, I got up in the middle of the night, I'm tearing the house upside down and I wake up my wife. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, do you smell that? She's like, nope. <laughs> oh my God. But, but, but where I was going with this was like, I, I stumbled upon this article online about phantom smells that some long haulers are experiencing. And I can't tell you like how comforting that was. Like it didn't do anything about it. Right. But, but I'm just like, I'm not the only one. Like, and that's how it is talking to other, other people. I've found like, even if it doesn't, you know, sometimes I get actually something practical out of it or even like a little bit of hope. Like, you know, I have really bad insomnia right now. And I, I've talked to other people who are like, yeah, I went through that phase. It, it wasn't permanent. So you, you can get some very practical things out of it, but also just the connection itself yeah. is, is su super helpful. So I've just been overcoming my inner introvert to like, to do to that. Get out there. It's, yeah, it's valuable. And so are you, are there any like, and you go to the doctor and they don't see anything and there's no sign and there's nothing to look at. And it's like, they can't, it's just, it's not, you can't see it. Yeah. You know, you know, this, this type of thing is famously difficult to diagnose. It's even harder if you never had a positive COVID test because, and I didn't, right. And I, you know, cause I, I couldn't get tested. So actually my primary care physician does not even believe my theory of the case. Uh, like she, she doesn't think I'm a long hauler. Does she think you what, got bit she, by a tick or something? Like what? Sort of like, it's like, I, I mean, she takes my symptoms seriously, but like it's sort of like this reductionist approach where it's like one symptom at a time I get a test for. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like the blind men and the elephant. Like, oh, it's a rope. Oh, it's a snake. Oh, it's a tree. No, it's an elephant. Right. <laughs> it's, it's all of those things. But, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, the blood work came back fine. Pulmonary function test, fine. EKG, fine. Echocardiogram, fine. It, it turns out, like, if you get enough tests, they'll find something. Right. Um, and I actually have, like... Um, serious plaque buildup in my coronary arteries. Like, like technically I have heart disease, like wow. in terms of like how, how they measure it. But, um, in a non runner, like a, someone with a, a calcium score as high as high as mine would actually have like a full blockage and they would be in trouble for me because I'm a runner. I don't have a blockage. So it's kind of, it's not the cause of my symptoms. And I probably wouldn't even know about it to this day if I hadn't had every test known to man done. Right. And it takes ye it takes years for those things to build up. Yeah. Um, and it actually like hardcore endurance training. Like I, I've never smoked. My diet's clean. Yeah. You know, I, you're I, a nutritionist I, I, it's not even too. I mean, you have like a, yeah. A, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not. I don't. I don't even have a family history. Like I have zero risk factors. But hardcore endurance athletes, a minority of, of us, when we get to around my age, actually, it's it's a it's a form of wear and tear. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it is in my case. It's possible that it was accelerated by COVID because COVID COVID scars the inner lining of the blood vessels, which makes them more sticky, which means you can trap those right. calcium particles. And I'm thinking maybe during those six months after the infection, when I was healthy and training again. Like a lot of that actually occurred during that period. There's no way to ever know. But I mean, I do have a heart problem. (laughs) You do. Which is, yeah. 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 So there's, there's another reality to accept, embrace and address. (laughs) And you're still, you're still going out there and training and doing all your stuff. I'm not. You're not, you're not doing any. No, I'm not. Okay. So yeah. So tell me. Well, well, I mean, you know, the thing about being an athlete is like, it's, it's the canary in the coal mine, you know, like if something is wrong with your health, you'll probably notice it in your training before like a sedentary person would, it would have to get much worse before right. they felt it. You know what I mean? So for me, it all started October 6th, 2020. I had a bad run for no good reason. I mean, th- that will happen, but, but it, like in retrospect, that was the beginning of, of an un- un- unraveling for me. But that was the first thing I noticed is like, you know, I can't, before I even knew what it was, I'm like, I got to be smart. Like, like, so I, I cut out all high intensity stuff. I cut out all like long endurance stuff. I just went, went into base mode. Um, right. But then I got to the point when, you know, I, I had, I would, I would even try to do that and I couldn't finish a run. Like I, I would just like, it felt like a race. My heart rate would be pinned at max at like, you know, 840 per mile, which sound maybe sounds great to you, but no, it does. I mean, <laughs> no but I know, I know who you are. Yeah. That's you know, yeah. Way, like way, way slower. Cause I was doing everything by feel. It's like, well, I, I can manage this, but even then my heart rate might get pinned or it might be actually crazy low. Like it might be in the fifties at the same pace on, on two different days. So I got to the point where like, it didn't feel good. I, I kind of sense like, you know, this is probably one of those situations when exercise is, is doing more, more harm than good. So I'm a walker now. Um, I, I, I can run. I had a video crew out here for, for something. Yeah, I saw that on ago. Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted me They wanted me to run. Like, I can do it, you know, but I just, I, I'm just like, just like I said earlier, you got to be smart, not just yeah. tough. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just trying to be smart now. And I feel like, you know, you know, it's okay. You know, I, I, it's, it, tough. it's not, it wasn't. <laughs> It yeah. wasn't that hard a decision to make, honestly, because yeah. it, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. So for all the people out there that aren't wearing masks and that don't believe in COVID, <laughs> this is like no joke. Yeah. I mean, that's the mistake. And that that's actually a big part of the reason that I've been so public about this is that, you know, yeah, if, if you're young, relatively young, healthy, fit, no, you're probably not going to die if you get COVID, but you could be messed up for life, you yeah. know, and, and, and it's a roll of the dice. Like, again, like I'm not where I am because of anything stupid I did, um, or because I'm weak, you know, I'm just unlucky. And like, you know, do you want to take that chance w- w- with your health? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, no, you got COVID way before, like anybody even knew what it was. So, yeah. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like the Atlanta Marathon was like sort of the end of something, you know, like it was happening. It was in the news. But like, you know, the thinking was then like if you if you aren't going to China or hanging out with someone who just came from China, you're good. Yeah. Like That's the whole reason that the the Atlanta Marathon and the Olympic trials. It was able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then you're walking now. That's your sort of training and you're doing a lot of mental training right now to kind of keep yourself strong and together and um do i hear a book about illness and covid and training in your future <laughs> you know it's funny my, my my dad who's also a writer um keeps saying that and and i i keep telling him like the irony there is because of the fatigue and the brain fog and actually you know some of the the, the mood stuff like i can't even contemplate writing a book right, right now, now. Yeah. i mean yeah. I mean, I, I can do, yeah, it's tough. Like, you know, I, I can do like, I'm just trying to figure it out as I go, like building training plans. It's sort of like kind of drone work. Yeah. Uh, like that is okay. But like anything kind of like that, that, um, requires like juggling a bunch of things at once, um, or anything that's like really sustained. Like I just, I've tried, like, I, I, I just can't really do it. And which is okay. You know, like it's just, you you got to just accept it. Don't force it. And, yeah. and don't give up. Like, fortunately, like I have more than one thing I can occupy my time with and, and except on the days when I just got to go lie down, there's always something I can do. And, and so I'm doing that. So that, that book may come in due time, but right now I yeah. would rather drink paint. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I, I am rooting for you on such a big level. And I'm just like so grateful for all of the sharing of information and knowledge that you put out there as an athlete, as a coach, as a writer. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm totally rooting for you. Uh, Yeah. You know, I I really appreciate that. I I appreciate that. Like, I mean, I know you said it just because you felt it, but it really, it really makes a difference to me. Uh, It it, it just, it's, it's nice. Yeah. I've been, I got a, I got an email from Dina Castor, Wow. Uh, you know, a few weeks back and she was like, you know, she apparently is on Twitter or something and saw yeah. it. And, you know, um, that, you know, she probably knew actually in that case, how much, she, <laughs> how well, good that would make me feel, but it all, it all helps. It really I read helps. the article in the New York times. I, I mean, I was reading your book, you know, I'm always like doing different training and we had already talked on the podcast and then I saw in, I read, um, the column, the running column in the New York times. And I was like, what the, yeah. So, well, listen, yeah. I'm totally rooting for you. I'm so glad that you were on the podcast. I am sending you an email with like 20 people after this call that you should contact <laughs> that I love, right. like in the <laughs> medical world, like from. Right on. You no, know, I, I know, like, I'm going to wrap the podcast, but I'm, I'm really sending you this guy, Dr. Will Lee. I'm sure you have your own arsenal of people, but this guy has done some really crazy stuff with cancer. And he's uh-huh. working on a couple studies about, you know, our capillaries and blood vessels and long haulers and COVID. His name is Dr. Will Lee. And I mean, he has a lot. He does like he talks about food as medicine and he he's really smart. Like he's totally dialed in. And then there's also. Right on. Yeah. So I'll connect you. But I, I don't know. There's cool. also like a Chinese medicine person. But I, like I'll just send it. Feel free to reach out or not reach out. But um. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Stay in touch. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Matt. This is awesome. I have a feeling you might have a new training student in your future. (laughs) Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 